everyone. Welcome to Zonan Canada. I'm your host, Jesse Betteridge. Joining me today is Dave Merrill. Uh, Dave runs various blogs, uh, notable blogs, including Let's Anime and Stupid Comics. Um, he's one of the founders of the, the convention Anime Weekend Atlanta, and he's also responsible for Anime Hell, um, which I still have not... I've, no one has ever given me a really comprehensive explanation of what Anime Hell is, but I understand it is, it is very much worth your time if you can ever catch it. <laughs> Hello up there in podcast land. Yeah, thanks, Dave, so much for coming on the show. It's my pleasure. This episode will be another retrospective on an anime series that has had a unique cultural impact in Canada. Uh, and it is the first episode focusing on a show that is of enormous specific cultural relevance to French-speaking Canadians. Um, previously, we've talked about shows including Sailor Moon, Inuyasha, Beyblade, and... Uh, I just have to make a quick note. Uh, it was brought to my attention recently, and I was unaware of this before we record the Beyblade episode. Um, it is canon in the Beyblade universe that Moses parted the Red Sea using a Beyblade. This showed up in some montage, uh, or some uh, historical montage in, in a later episode, and I am kind of upset that in the the, you know, in all the research I did on Beyblade, uh, nobody mentioned this. Certainly going to make uh, next Passover a lot more interesting. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah, I, I I guess it's just a lesson that when I do a retrospective on a show, I should watch the whole thing because an in-universe fact like that is absolutely worth bringing up, and that's why I just wanted to make sure that it was mentioned in this episode so that anybody who needs to you know analyze the the importance of Beyblade. Uh, in the future, goes in knowing all about that. That Just wanted to throw that out there. But back to uh, the topic at hand for this episode. Um, those are all shows that have had an impact on Anglophone audiences. The Francophone anime fandom in Canada has a completely different history, uh, is grounded in a completely different culture, and uh, completely different programs. And today we will be talking about one of the most influential anime programs to air on the French version of CBC, uh, Radio-Canada, Albator Les Corsaires de l'Espace, uh, which English speakers are more likely to recognize as Space Pirate Captain Harlock. Um, now, I asked Dave to join me because he is quite well-versed in Harlock and uh, the works of Leiji Matsumoto, and uh, he, has, he has encountered a, a number of things uh, related to you know, Harlock in general and related to the French fandom. You know, notably, I really wanted to have someone uh, on this show who actually lived in Quebec and grew up watching Albator um, to share their experiences, but unfortunately, all of my attempts to find anyone fell through. Um, I was going to keep looking, but honestly, we're 33 episodes into this podcast, and the fact that we still have not put together a full episode uh, talking about the Francophone fandom is frankly kind of embarrassing. So we're just going to have to press forward with this as best as we can uh, with just the two of us, and I think we'll be okay. What do you think, Dave? I think it'll work out fine. I hope to uh, enjoy the later episodes about Candy Candy and Goldorak. Uh, we will definitely have episodes about Candy Candy and Goldorak. Um and, uh, yeah, I, y there's definitely a, a gap that needs to be bridged between uh, the English fandom and the French fandom in Canada because, you know, so, so much of the French fandom operated in the late 70s to the 80s, the early 90s. Um, it declined, you know, around 95, 96 when World Masterpiece Theater ended, which is kind of interesting because uh, Sailor Moon started in 1995, which sort of marked the beginning of the, the English language fandom. Uh, in Canada. So as one declined, the other sort of grew. Uh, I really can't give you a reason why that is, or, you know, my entire account of that might not be, be too accurate. I know that you've made some observations about this as well, Dave. 
Well, it was, you know, it's interesting that there, when I got up here, I moved to Canada in 2004, and there really, it really seemed to me in English Canada, anime fandom really started with Sailor Moon. But there had been so many great shows that aired, uh, in Quebec and in French language, uh, Canada. Well, you know, all over Canada, but in French, that the fandom really didn't stick, you know? It's yeah. fascinating to me. And it, I was thinking that it might have been because if you were of a science fiction fan or comics fan in Quebec at that time, you would have had access to all this tremendous French language, uh, comics, French and Belgian comics that were coming over from Europe, which is, you know, that's, as we're seeing, uh, this summer with Valerian and the, the city of a thousand planets, mm-hmm. you know, planet of a thousand cities, whatever it's called. There's an entire world of French language science fiction comics that are stunningly uh, visually impressive that you can immerse yourself in. Uh, English language, uh, audiences don't have that, or at least they've got a language barrier. Yeah, that that does make sense because frankly, so if you're uh, yeah. if you're living in Quebec and you want to find this stuff, hey, I can find this. Look at this great stuff. I can read it. Yeah. Whereas you don't, you know, you're finding Japanese stuff. Well, heck, I can't read that. I don't read Japanese. So maybe there was a little more incentive to stick with, uh, you know, what was in their native language. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just spitballing. I I think it's a good it's a good take on that. Like there was there isn't as imperative a need to go down the anime rabbit hole um, when you have access to like. French and Belgian comics in, in your own language. Uh, exactly. I, Whereas if you're if you are it's 1980 1982 and you want science fiction adventure that is aimed at a slightly older audience, uh, you're gonna have to go to Japan for that 1982. Yeah. You know, or the thing. You know, I mean, you know. Yeah. Obviously, there's only so much that we can we can theorize about this. Uh, I hope again that you know as we get more into to French language stuff, we can reach more to that actual audience in Quebec uh, through this show. And I hope we can have more people on who can bring, you know, more of a, add more to that perspective and, and sort of, uh, sort sort of bridge that chasm. Um, if uh, I've done as much research as I can, we'll, I think we can paint a pretty reasonable picture. Uh, and of course, if I get anything wrong, or if you want to give me an earful, or you just want to help broaden the general perspective here, you can always hit me on Twitter at Zon in Canada or at Jay Betteridge email, uh, Zon in Canada at gmail.com. Uh, that would, I'd really appreciate it. You know, for now, we're just, uh, I think Albator uh, slash Captain Harlock is is a good place to start. Dave, can you just kind of explain Captain Harlock in, in a nutshell uh, to everyone? Well, I uh, I think the best description of Captain Harlock came out of a, a fanzine I read in the mid-1980s where they said, Captain Harlock is a space pirate with a heart of gold and real punko looks. He's a character that's so visually iconic that you... Uh, I think even a blind person can see Captain Harlock and go, this guy is a space pirate. He's got an eye patch. He's got crazy big boots. He's got a cape. He's got crazy hair. He's got scars all over his body. And he's got both a, a Wild West uh, sort of handgun and a sword that is also a gun. So don't be surprised when he shoots you with that sword because it's also a gun. People are always surprised uh, when he does it, though. They're always surprised. They're they're looking surprised. So the deal with Captain Harlock is that uh, it's the year 2977 AD, and uh, the planet Earth is just in a state of depression. Um, the government is corrupt. No one's out there really getting anything done. Everyone's content to sit home and watch television. Uh, the government is keeping people keeping people uh, satisfied by uh, putting subliminals in the television television series which is always a it's a, a fun little little plot line they never quite work their way back around to mm-hmm. which is interesting and there's paints, only a few, an interesting picture to, to start it, for it sure. does yeah. it does there's only only a few people 
have uh, decided they're not going to live like that. And one of those people is Captain Harlock. And because of his actions against the Earth government, uh, he's been branded an outlaw. And he decided, if I'm going to be an outlaw, I'm going to be an outlaw. So uh, together with uh, 40 fellow space pirates, uh, he flies around uh, outer space in a space battleship that was built by his best friend. And uh, in the course of his um, adventures uh, defying the corrupt Earth government, he uh, finds out that the Earth is under danger of imminent invasion by a race of alien plant women from the Andromeda Galaxy who uh, used to live on Earth and since went out into the, the galaxy and now are coming back to take back their real estate. So we're, we're mainly talking about what we're talking about here is the original um, Space Pirate Captain Harlock series from 1978. Captain Harlock is, of course, one of the most iconic anime characters who's ever been made, and there have been multiple interpretations of him over the years um, in multiple series and movies and, and different types of adaptations. Uh, basically, none of it fits together at all. Um, Please when, do not do not waste your time trying yeah. ret, ret, trying to fit these these series together because they just don't fit. Yeah, there there is no Leiji Matsumoto universe. None of this shit fits together perfectly. Um, you just kind of have to appreciate every every iteration uh, on its own merits. Um, You've got to relax and let go. Yeah. and just accept it. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it, it doesn't fit together. We're focusing on uh, the 1978 series. Actually, when, when Harlock was first adapted into French, uh, which was less than a year after the series actually started airing in Japan in 1978, the, the series had not actually finished when they began the, the, the uh, French-language production. Uh, Harlock's name was changed to Albator, uh, apparently due to concerns that children would somehow confuse him with Captain Haddock from uh, from Tintin. See, I, I, I don't buy that explanation. Yeah, but... It's, that's, it sounds that's what too you always glib. hear. That's what you always hear. But they they changed most of the characters' names. They did. They changed most of the characters' names. My understanding, uh, and I read this in an English language blog, was that the person who was in charge of localizing Captain Harlock for the French audience had a friend who really reminded him of Captain Harlock and that he was a groovy guy with hair or something. And this friend went by the name of Albatross. Oh. So he figured, well, I'll call. I'll give Harlock a name that's kind of like the name of my friend, which is just a liberty you should not take with somebody else's cartoon character. <laughs> yeah, um, almost all the characters' uh, names were changed uh, in the French yes. version. That's, I mean, that was standard practice back then. It goes beyond just this show itself. Uh, of course, Harlock was Albator. Uh, Kei Yuki, who's the navigator and science officer aboard the uh, the Arca- oh, actually the the Arcadia. The ship is called the Atlantis in French. Uh, Kei Yuki, who's the navigator and science officer, um, slash, or she's the bridge bunny basically. Um, her name was changed to Nausicaa, which is uh, one of the most surprising cha- changes there because this actually predates uh, Nausicaa, the Valley of Wind, by several it's, years. It's, so it's, it's uh, from Homer's Odyssey, man. Yeah. It's, I, it's a, a, it's, I, I, I understand. Literary that. reference. It's a literary reference, but it's a fun coincidence, nonetheless. Um, Tadashi Daiba, who's the son of Professor Daiba, one of the, you know, the few people on Earth who understood what was going on with the the Mazone invasion and tried to warn the government and wound up uh, wound up getting killed. Um, Tadashi's name was changed to to Ramis Valente. Um, Mime, who is uh, the uh, mouthless alien who uh, who is also aboard the uh, the Atlantis, uh, is her name was changed to Cleo. Yataran, who's the first mate, and uh, when he's not uh, focused on his job, is always uh, building models of uh, of, of battleships. Uh, his name was changed to Alfred. Uh, Emeraldus uh, was changed to Esmeralda. Tochiro Oyama, who is uh, Harlock's uh, he's Harlock's best friend, and and uh, he's 
the engineer who built the Arcadia. Yeah. He uh he was actually the one character who retained his original name from the French version, uh Tochiro. Um although in in Alpador in the later series, Albator 84, uh, his name was very confusingly changed to Alfred, even though he is not the same character as, as Yataron. Um, That's messed up. Yeah. They, they made no effort. They made no attempt to try and sell you on the idea that he was the same character. It was just a really confusing localization choice, probably not made by the same the same company. At, at least in the 78 series, uh, he, he retains his name, uh, which is interesting because his Japanese heritage is is pretty notable uh, for reasons we'll, we'll get into a little later. And Queen Lafresia, who is the uh, the queen of the Mazone race, her name was changed to uh, Sauvidre, and the Mazone race are called the Sauvidre in in French they're pretty extensive with with the localization overall although it, it is over i found it's from what i've gathered it is a fairly faithful dub i mean you can find you can you can buy a dvd set right now that has the whole thing the whole series uh and it is original french dub despite the fact that it's edited it's still intact enough that they can produce a fully bilingual uncut dvd when they uh, the edits of albator were they edits for content or just for time uh both i believe um, and I, I believe that the f- uh, the version that ran in France was slightly more edited than the version that ran in in Quebec as well. Uh, but there were certainly there were certainly uh, content edits. I I don't have access to that version, so I don't know exactly what was cut. Um, I also read that in France they had they had to cut anime down for for 20 minute slots a lot of the time because they would run for 20 minutes without any ad breaks. But uh, again, I I can't find any a lot of clear information on that because again we have that big that big chasm between the English and French fandom, and it's it's kind of hard to exchange information uh, a lot of the time, I find. Nonetheless, I, it's difficult to imagine any the English-language dub of any anime produced uh, back in the, in the late 70s or early 80s being used on an uncut DVD now, because usually there's just not enough footage to work with in those versions. Um, and But apparently that's, in most French adaptations, it's, it's intact enough that you can produce a, a, an uncut dub with it, which... Uh, I find interesting. Well, there is a, actually a lot of um, if you're judicious with your editing in a, a seri- especially a series like Captain Harlock, there are a lot of scenes where the Arcadia is just trucking from the left side of the screen to the right side of the screen, and you could probably cut those out if you needed to cut those yeah. out without losing any important plot points. Yeah. And um, again, you know, we're we're complaining about this dub of Albator or the edits they made to Albator, whereas when that series aired in the United States. As Captain Harlock and Queen of a Thousand Years, it was a crime what was done to the show. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but uh, Harmony Gold licensed Captain Harlock for broadcast, and they needed to uh, six, fill 65 episodes, and Captain Harlock is only 42 episodes. So they also licensed uh, the Queen Millennia television series, and they edited both of those shows together into a semi-coherent story where characters from one series would talk to characters from another series, and the two events, the two shows are supposedly happening at the same time, simultaneously. And it does not work at all. It's really schizophrenic television watching. Yeah, and it didn't air very well. They, they never got a full national syndication deal with that. I think it only aired in a handful of markets. Well, I know we got it in Atlanta, which mm-hmm. is where I saw it. There, there are a few English-language versions of Captain Harlock uh, out there. But, uh, well, the first the, the first version I saw was a weird home video release that Ziv International released in the early 80s. That was four episodes dubbed together, haphazardly dubbed, 
um, with a crazy Take to the Sky theme song. But anyway, we're, we're talking about, I don't want to get off track. But anyway, going back to, to the French Albator uh, version, as, as we've made very clear, there are all all these different versions of, of Captain Harlock that don't quite fit together. Um, and this has also been the case in the, in the French adaptations. Uh, the series we're talking about, the 1978 series, is often in French dubbed Albator 78. Um, and that refers to the incomplete French dub of the original Space Pirate Captain Harlock series, which was directed by Rin Taro and produced by Toei Animation in 1978. Um, and it, it is known officially in French as Albator Les Corsaires de l'Espace. Um, this is the series that aired on Radio-Canada, uh, the French-language version of CBC. Um, and uh, there's also Albator 84. Uh, and that refers to the 1982 Captain Harlock series, Arcadia of My Youth, Eternal Orbit, SSX which is in a completely different continuity from that 1978 series. Um, and when that was released in, in French, it was simply under the title Albator, which obviously makes things very confusing. So that's why fans refer to it as Albator 84. Um, now, that did air in Canada, but my understanding is that it was on a premium station, uh, like Super Ekron, so it was seen by about seven people. Uh, it didn't air in, in broadcast. Um, Albator 84 was very prominent in France, not so much... In Canada, uh, Albator 2000 uh, is the third sort of uh, designation, and that actually refers to the final three episodes of the original Space Pirate Captain Harlock, which were not included in the original French dub of the series. Um, as I mentioned before, Albator 78 is an incomplete dub, and it remained incomplete for almost 20 years. I was going to say, when you say Albator 2000, was that was the entire series released uh, in a format under that title? It was not officially released under that title. That's just what the fans call it. Uh, okay. uh, it was they were first officially screened at the Fantasia Film Festival in Montreal in 2000. Uh, again, 20 years like like people were kept hanging for 20 years. Uh, at least our casual television watchers were kept hanging for almost 20 years. It's uh, they had to wait almost as long for those final three episodes as we have had to wait for season three of Twin Peaks. Um, wow. And there were well, ex- except you know those episodes actually already existed. They did exist, and I and many people had access to them for sure. But I mean, to the casual audience, that was they just. You know, the series just ended at episode 39. And there were some major problems with the adaptation of those final three episodes as well. We'll get into that later. Um, but just looking at Albator 78 specifically, uh, it actually made its debut uh, in Quebec. Uh, the series was dubbed in France, but we got it first by a full six months. Uh, and it's worth noting that Albator himself uh, was played by Richard Dubois, uh, and he was a Quebec, an actor from Quebec. And uh, Radio-Canada aired the series many times, over and over again. Uh, And in that time, since it first aired in 1979, it managed to become an ongoing social phenomenon for many years, Uh, at least to people who spoke French. Uh, It was completely under the radar for English speakers, because despite the fact that just about every Canadian home has access to Radio-Canada, if you didn't speak French, you would never even think to watch that station or, uh, or check out... Or, or even become aware of the fact that Captain Harlock was airing on there. Um, but if you mentioned Albator to any Gen Xer or older millennial from Quebec, chances are that uh, they will have a bit of a gleam in their eye when they talk about it. Uh, the series had a huge impact. It led the way for a barrage of toys, memorabilia. Uh, Dave, you know about the special Radio Canada branded pins that I'm pretty sure you had to mail in for uh, that had some very uh, janky off-model drawings of the characters on them. They're very off-model, yeah. 
I put, I, I found a set of those, well, not a set, but three of those at Anime North a few years back. And uh, got a let's anime blog post out of those buttons. You'll, you'll find that a, a lot of the Albatorum merchandise was brought in from France. There were some picture books, ch- uh, children's picture books that, again, have these really these really funny looking uh, renditions of, of of the characters, and, uh, and that was kind of a trend through a lot of that that older Albator merchandise. Um, but you know that stuff was really big for for quite a while uh, based on that 1978 series, uh, and. There's also some public art. Uh, I, I have been told that there was a giant wall painting of Queen Amaraldus, um, at least until recently, uh, on Ontario Street in Montreal. Uh, I don't know if it's still there. Uh, I'm trying to find a picture of it, but I'd, I'd love to see that, uh, whether it's still there or not, because that's uh, that's cool stuff right there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We would Last time we were in, we were in Montreal last summer, and we stopped by a restaurant called La Belle et la Biffe. And in the men's room, there is a mural of Captain Harlock, or Albator, if you prefer. And the women's room has a mural of Candy from Candy Candy, Candice White Adler, Adley. Yeah, and they have a. I I read your your uh, account of that. There they had a Goldrack burger as well. They do have a Goldrack burger. It's very good. I I want to eat that, and hopefully I can make it to Montreal one day, and uh, that'll be one of my first stops for sure. As you know, I've suggested Albator was just as big a phenomenon in France, and what I've gathered just combing some translations of French blogs. Uh, again, I don't speak French, so there's a cultural barrier that I'm, I'm processing everything through. Uh, a lot of fans in France have traditionally been envious of the French Canadian broadcast. Um, in addition to you know getting a much later start over in France, the broadcast on Antenne 2 there uh, apparently it had additional edits on top of masters from the the dubbing company that were already edited. And the decision to not translate the final three episodes was one made at the French broadcasting level. So overall, it's kind of a bit of a, a grass is greener because, uh, you know, the, the version of Albator that aired on Radio Canada was certainly not unedited or anything like that. Um, it's, you know, kind of the same thing you'd see with a lot of anime aired on YTV versus on Cartoon Network, how sometimes Cartoon Network would make some additional edits that weren't in the YTV version. It's that kind of thing happening but i think that uh, a big thing thing in france is that uh when albator 78 ended it didn't really get a lot of repeat airings once albator 84 hit that sort of superseded everything and, and got a lot more attention whereas that didn't happen in canada so albator 78 um got a lot more focus and yes radio canada did play the series over and over again for many years on and off and reportedly and i haven't actually gotten a confirmation of this but at some point, they apparently had managed to license the series in perpetuity, um, or at least that was the word on the street back in 2006, when the French version of Teletoon Retro was trying to get their hands on it and couldn't. Uh, and it just imagine that, Teletoon actually trying to license anime. It, it really shows how popular that, or how, how popular and how well-remembered that show was uh, among the French-Canadian uh, audience. Incidentally, it was that same year that Abator surfaced again on Radio-Canada, uh, almost as if Radio-Canada was mocking Teletoon for not uh, being able to get their hands on it. And I believe that is still the show's most recent airing. I don't think it's it's popped up again since then. I do know that I had noticed uh, the Astro Boy in French airing on... Uh... I think it was Teletoon Retro. I think they got it. Oh, yeah? Yeah, they, yeah, they did manage until... to get some stuff. They did get Goldorak at one point and ran that for a bit. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if they got their hands on some other stuff. But, yeah, I think a, a lot of stuff came and went pretty quickly on, on that station. Uh, but anyway, that Radio Canada airing in 2006 was actually 
how I first saw it, and it was my first real substantial exposure to Captain Harlock. Um, I checked it out out of curiosity uh, because people were talking about it on the old Zonen Canada forums back, you know, when those were a thing. And at the time, I was still, you know, young and naive and still somewhat dismissive of older stuff. And I also figured that anything airing on a public broadcaster in the middle of the day would be sanitized to the point that it was completely irrelevant. And oh boy, was I wrong. Um, because even with the language barrier, I could tell that this series was really sharply mature and dynamic and atmospheric in a way that I wasn't really used to seeing in, in anime localizations from that from that era. You never can tell. You never can tell where this the really great stuff is going to pop up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can't. Make, you just can't make assumptions like that. I, I, I have since learned that lesson for sure. One of the most distinctive things in this series is uh, we mentioned the Mazone slash Silvadre race. Um, when they are killed, they emit this horrifying high pitched scream, and that is fully recreated in the French dub, uh, and it is it leaves quite an impression on you. Admittedly, I still haven't seen a lot of the Harlock anime in full. Uh, I only, actually, I only recently finished the 1978 series because the whole thing is there, uh, subtitled on Crunchyroll in English, uh, and I highly recommend you check it out. It is a, it is a terrific show. Um, and you can buy the uh, there's a DVD set available from Discotech Media. There is, and uh, if you if you are okay with blind buying uh, an older series, uh, you cannot go wrong with this one. Cannot um, go wrong. It is one of the best you could pick up, uh, especially out of Discotech. And while the, ser- the series is a little rough-looking compared to, like, uh, Arcadia of My Youth, uh, I, I, I think I prefer the general look and design work in this show. Um, it, it, uh, I, I think Rin Taro, he, when he's working, he is at, he's definitely the best when it comes to adapting Leiji Matsumoto stuff. And he has a, there's just something to uh, the way he renders it visually that I think isn't quite captured in, in any of the other versions. There's like a solid consistency and stylization to it that I think is really strong. Uh, this series was definitely Toei animation at the top of their game, at least as far as television animation goes. It's a terrific looking show. It's got a lot of atmosphere. Uh, I love the the character designs by uh, Kei Kazuo, Kazuo Komatsubara, who uh, did character designs for this show and for a lot of other Matsumoto series in that, that time frame. Uh, actually, a lot of anime. You did a lot of anime yeah, character designs. Yeah, there's a, a lot of little differences in this uh, compared to the other other versions that uh, that you'll see. Um, one is like the the Arcadia itself. Uh, in this series, it has a dark blue look. Uh, in like Arcadia of My Youth and a lot of the later versions, uh, has more of a green military look. And uh, I definitely prefer the dark blue one. I think uh, I'll, I'll take that one any day personally. I find that I, I like them both. I don't I don't want to have to force to be forced to choose between the two Arcadias. Uh, the blue one's got that you know the switchblade that comes out the front, which is crazy. It's just nuts. Uh, the green Arcadia has it's got a big skull right on the front that he uses to smash through things. They're both they're both really entertaining ships. Both of them have the uh, old sailing ship bridge uh, stuck to the back, just to really drive it home that this is not a series you should be taking. You can't watch this show and expect scientific accuracy because it is a space fantasy. It's not meant to be taken as a a future prediction. Leiji Matsumoto, he really likes making his spaceships look like World War II battlecruisers. <laughs> World War II battlecruisers. Look at Emeraldus's ship, yeah. which is a giant blimp. What he's about, and you see this mostly in Galaxy Express, he's evoking a sense of nostalgia uh, that 
might actually be for not only a time we didn't experience, but something that doesn't actually exist. And yet he's able to evoke, uh, evoke that sense, which is uh, actually quite a uh, surprising feat when you think about it. Well, there's a real sadness, uh, yeah. especially uh, more so in Galaxy Express, I think. But Captain Harlock is full of people, full of characters who have deep regrets about their lives and question why they're doing what they're doing and, and what is the purpose of this. Yeah. Deep questions about their lives. Th- that actually brings me to, to I, I think, probably the biggest criticism I have of the series is that you have these all these characters that we mentioned before. They all have like really good, really good backstories, and everyone gets an episode or two to sort of look at who they are and why they uh, have committed themselves to Harlock's cause. I do find that after they've had that that sort of moment they tend to fade into the background and yeah and who's yeah. the character that we never get we never get that 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 realization or that revelation of his background is is captain yeah. harlock himself yeah exactly and i i actually believe that's a good thing I, yeah. I don't believe we would ever like anything they could tell us would would be an anticlimax. he is actually and i've said this before he's a character that works best uh, the more mysterious he is the better he works we don't need to know where the shadow came from we don't need to know where Captain Harlock comes from, because yeah. it's better to not know. He's a fascinating character with that air of mystery. You know, we really don't know uh, where he came from, how old he is. Uh, you know, and there have been further iterations of the character that have tried to sort of fill in those gaps. And I think those are, those are less satisfying. Yeah, I, I agree, I especially Arcadia, my youth and Eternal Orbit SSX. It just kind of revels in fill, filling that hole. And in a way, it does make Harlock feel like more of a, a vulnerable character well i feel i feel like uh this series the 78 series you know he's and he is tremendously vulnerable uh in in terms of uh mayu yeah and and in terms of shizuka nomino the mazon spy gets herself on board the arcadia and she comes really really close to taking harlock's life yeah but she does not succeed <laughs> No, no, no. I, there, there's, there's, there's this great bit with, with, with Namino in that series. I like that phrase, Shizuka Namino, Maison Spy. <laughs> and, you know, she, she basically, you know, comes very close to, to seducing him and, you know, prying past his, uh, his defenses. And th- there's just this one great shot, I think it's in episode 35 or 36 or something, where he just kind of throws her into the sick bay <laughs> and walks yeah. away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, it, you know, it kind of shows how they, they really, they, they really play up how important it is for Harlock slash Albator to maintain this, this stoic badass personality. And, you know, it's, it's, it is a really delicate balance of how, how vulnerable do you want to make him? How much do you want to? How much do we really want to know about him? Um, versus how much do we want him to just be sort of, sort of a, a mysterious, maybe not infallible, but he needs to be, yeah, an icon. He needs yeah. to be an icon. Yeah, we we see more more of the you know stoic, mysterious, unflappable Harlock in this series than we do uh, in, in other versions. You mentioned you mentioned Mayu, uh, and in the French version, she's known as Steli. Um, and I, that actually brings me to, to one thing I wanted to bring up. So as far as I know, I haven't read the original Captain Harlock manga, uh, but uh, my understanding is that this series more or less follows uh, the same plot. Uh, it, it, uh, the, the, the Harlock manga is almost like it reads like a treatment for the show that the 78 series would become. It's, the bones are there, uh, but it hasn't really been fleshed out. Yeah. And uh, uh, it's it's a Matsumoto comic, so there's 
lots and lots of full page spreads of the Arcadia sitting in space and stuff. And the scripting for the 78 series is all over the map, mm-hmm. but it, it, it does get where it's going eventually, you know, whereas yeah. the, the comic kind of it kind of loses interest in the whole thing. It kind of feels like he's like, yeah, OK, whatever. If you've seen Matsumoto's manga for uh, Space uh, Space Battleship Yamato. It does the same thing. It's like, well, we've kind of got a story, but I'm not really interested in that. I want to do this. It's it's really interesting. I think uh, in that regard, uh, so the character of Mayu, who's known as Stellian in French, uh, she is the daughter of Tochiro and Emeraldus, and she was not in the original manga. Um, no. Uh, so she was actually ad- added to the series. And I, I wanted to hear more of your take on that character, because uh, I have read somewhere, I don't know if this is true, apparently Matsumoto resented her being introduced into the series um or, or she's often interpreted as being so, something to uh appeal to younger audiences which i don't personally agree with i think she adds a very uh a very needed and very necessary uh emotional element that, to the show overall she is the linchpin of the entire series mm-hmm. without mayu there is no captain harlock 1978 which is why it, it blew my mind when i realized that she wasn't in the original manga she Exactly. I mean, I mean, you don't have like Tochiro and Emeraldus today are considered these two vital figures in uh, the Harlock mythos. They, you know, uh, and Tochiro, it is revealed later that he is uh, the he's had his consciousness transplanted into the ship, so he's kind of there throughout the whole he's, thing. And Emeraldus is, we see her in flashback. Uh, nowhere to where, be seen. Yeah, she is Wor- worst mom ever. <laughs> she is MIA completely. So uh, Harlock had a, a close bond with both of those characters, and uh, his commitment to visiting Mayu on Earth is sort of the what what he we may, see playing he, out in in that in that bond it, connection. It's my contention that Mayu is the only reason Captain Harlock is defending the planet Earth. Mm-hmm. Period. End of story. He made a promise to his friend, and he's going to keep that promise. And whether if that means he has to go to war with an entire race of intelligent plant women, then by golly, he is going to go to war with an entire race of intelligent plant women. That's that's my take on that character. That's why she, that's why she's there throughout the series. She's always playing. She has the ocarina that was that was given to her by by Harlock, yep. and she's always playing a song by it. And there's this fantastic scene where she's reunited with, you know, the 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 central computer on the Arcadia, which is you know her father essentially and we uh she she's playing the song in the ocarina and that we it rolls into this this greater song that's been kind of building up to throughout the series and it's it's just such a beautiful moment i think i think it was episode 34 probably my favorite episode of that series because it kind of brought the whole mayu and her her parents storyline together and it's it's I, still kind of there in the french version uh it, obviously it's nowhere near as good because not not as much attention is is given to the the mus- musical element of the show the french wrote some terrible terrible music for albator and kind of smeared it all over the show and uh it that's a crime because the space pirate captain harlock has a tremendous soundtrack that i i own on dv on cd and on vinyl i i really love that soundtrack uh, and especially like like the the, the Mayu's little ocarina segues into this tremendous orchestral piece. Uh, you get this amazing like an overture. Uh, I still get cold chills every time I hear it. It's just a tremendous tremendous soundtrack. There's another thing that makes that show terrific. But yeah, Mayu's in there playing the ocarina to a computer, 
And she's not even aware, right? Half the time, yeah. she's not even, she doesn't know because she's just a little kid. Yeah. But it's, it's really tragic. It's amazingly tragic. You know, we, we, we talk about, you know, we like Japanese cartoons because they're more adult or whatever. But the, the, the truth is they're more melodramatic. And that's a, a melodrama that an American cartoon just would not touch. They would not go for the sad moment. They would go for the funny moment or the we blew up the enemy base moment. But they will not go for the sad moment, and that's uh, Japanese. Uh, Japanese animation will go for the tragedy every time, yeah. and it works. I mean, it's it's a button they push, but it, it's a button that works. Yeah, and, and I think that's a, a big reason why I like the the dynamic of the absence of uh, of em- Emeraldus and 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 Tochiro so much better. It just it it just opens opens up to that longing and and uh, exactly and emptiness, and it just allows for a moment like that. And I think I find it far more effective, and it also makes those characters more tantalizing themselves as well. Uh, whereas in later iterations, we just you know they're in the crew, and it's it's all Tochiro and Emeraldus all the time. Yeah, it's not necessarily bad because they're, they're you know they're great characters, but uh, th- this is. Like this dynamic, I find is is a lot more satisfying in a lot of ways. I find Emeraldus is kind of a one note character. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll notice in in the Emeraldus manga that um, oh, who just put those out? Uh, that was they Kodansha, just came Kodansha, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're terrific. You should go and buy them right mm-hmm. now. Zach Davison translated them. Did a great job. But she is. There's another character. There's a young a youth character that she's sort of watching over, and both of their stories are sort of told concurrently. But you need another character to sort of that she can talk to, and that this other character looks up to Emeraldus as this legend. And this is how we see Captain Harlock. All the other characters look up to him as this mythical figure. And you'll see this uh, when he appears in the Galaxy Express films as well. Captain Harlock is this, he's a figure on a wanted poster. You never expect to meet him in real life. And whoop, there he is, you know. Well, same with Emeraldus and Tochiro. And, uh, of course, if you're watching the English dub of that Galaxy Express 3.9 movie, he's voiced by Scott McNeil, which uh, de- I-, I think definitely the best English language portrayal we've-, we've seen of Captain Harlock. I don't know if you agree with me on that. Oh, I like the, I like the John Wayne yeah? Captain Harlock voice. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I-, I like that Roger Corman New World dub. Yeah. It's, uh, Maytel's voice is terrible in that, uh, but everybody else, apart from the, the fake celebrity impersonation Captain Harlock voice, everyone else does a pretty good job. But I mean, there's only, uh, I gotta go with, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a subtitle guy. I like Japanese dialogue. I'm, I'm, I'm a purist, I guess. I don't know. But, you know, we're talking about Mayu as a character that wasn't in the manga, and you brought up uh, General Kirita. Kirita, yes, uh, known as Vilak in the French version. Vilak. And I, I think there, there's quite a bit to talk about spoilers, but I'm gonna I'm just gonna say it anyway. In episode 39 is his tragic uh, death, and that actually marks the end of the series in the French dub, and did so for 20 years. Uh, so I think he's he's definitely a character worth taking a look at. And he goes out like a badass. He I'm sure does. Man. That was uh, another fantastic episode. And I have it in my contract. That's how I die. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, yeah, character who was added in. There are some claims that Matsumoto also resented this character or didn't like his addition, which on one hand is kind of ridiculous because I think he's a very compelling character. On the other hand, I can kind of see that because the thing about Kirita is that he's like the one authority figure on Earth who is competent and kind of understands what's going on and catches on to the fact that the Earth is in danger. And, you know, he's, he's sort of presented as the Zenigata to Harlock's Oh, exactly. Um, very much so. Very that, much so. That's very much the, the you don't you don't see that dynamic play out in the series so much, but you know that's the I- 
idea behind his character. And he ultimately works with Harlock in the end and, and sacrifices himself to help uh, to fight against the Mazone. Um, and, and he gets an episode where we learn his backstory and why he hates pirates so much. Yeah, there's a lot going on with this character. And he, he's one of, again, one of the linchpins in the, the TV series. Uh, and if Masamoto did resent him, I, I think it's because possibly because he undermines this idea that the the earth government has just become completely hopeless and and complacent and i i will say uh, one of my favorite characters is the earth president <laughs> he he's he's such a fun 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 100% inept 1970s bureaucrat yeah. i just love that guy so much yeah he's always preoccupied with 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 racetracks and and getting new ones built and playing you know portable golf in his office and it's just uh, all those stereotypical but but fantastic touches. I don't want to spoil the show, but at the end of the show, like the beginning of the show, he's hollering at people. He's smoking a cigarette. He's like, I'm the president. Do what I say. La, 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 la. And at the end of the show, the city is in ruins. Everything has been destroyed. <laughs> um, and he's like he's in his wrecked office. He's wearing rags and he's like leaning back. He's like hollering at his underling. He's also wearing rags and he just leans back with a cigarette and with this big smile on his face because he's still top dog, you know? Yeah. It's like he, no, nothing is ever going to change for that guy. You know, I, I can't help but get the impression that that you know, the Earth government we see in uh, in this series is sort of representative of how Matsumoto views like Japan's post-war government. Well, it's, you know. It's a lot of red tape. Exactly, and and of course Kirita he undermines that. Uh, but I mean he I think he brings a much needed balance to the dynamic that we see there, and the the exaggerated elements kind of work better because of him. Um, so he he did, but uh, again it's it, it is notable that the series in French ended at episode thirty nine. So for for casual viewers for many years that this series played over and over again, his tragic heroic badass death in episode 39 marked the end of things so in a way that, that kind of recontextualizes his character or at least i i would imagine that it did uh for audiences who never got to see those final three episodes and i guess maybe we should we should touch on those final three episodes and why they didn't get uh why that's they, a why good question so long, uh to get them dubbed so i don't know we don't know the exact reason uh or i'm sure someone does i don't know the exact reason but having watched those episodes it probably has a lot to do with uh, the way the the final conflict plays out, and uh, there are a lot of titties uh, in those final three <laughs> episodes, and not a lot of ways that you can get around them. Um, you know, there's there's nothing too egregious in episode 40, the third last episode. In 41, we see the the final showdown between uh, Captain Harlock and uh, Queen Lafrecia, and the the battle basically ends with him uh, stripping her naked and cutting her breasts, and then the, the you know the big revelation is that she bleeds red, whereas the other uh, Mazone bleed like blue turquoise kind of color. With the revelation yeah. that she is in fact human, and I guess it's possible that they could have edited episodes together or uh, or found some way to edit around it, but it the end result would have probably been completely incomprehensible. Uh, if they had tried it's, to do it's that. still still pretty incomprehensible oh yeah yeah <laughs> why is she a human that doesn't make any sense to me when i when i watched that episode i was i was uh trying to figure out i mean the theory behind the mazone is that they created human beings human beings yeah. were created to be their cattle and then we just developed intelligence i mean that's the story of captain harlock it's this mid-70s von daniken ancient astronauts 
pyramids under sea nonsense that was all the rage. But if she's a human and she's leading the Mazone, did she create the Mazone who in turn created humanity? It doesn't make any sense. I, I feel like there was a big uh, a bunch of writers in the writer's room going, okay, we got to wrap this up. What are we going to do? And there's a lot of blank looks. You know, and then they they call Leiji Matsumoto. And he's like, "Look, you guys put the little girl in there, and I didn't want you to do that, so you're on your own." <laughs> yeah, it was. It, it's a it's a definitely a confusing ending. They they went for I guess kind of thematic shock over logic, but I think it worked. It doesn't work on a logical level. It no. works on an emotional level. It does, yeah. Because that, Harlock would would have easily killed her had she been a plant woman, but he's like, "Oh, you're a human. Well, I don't." You know, he doesn't appreciate. He doesn't like killing people. You know, he'll do it. It's really conv- it's it's just it's a weird ending. But I mean, the whole show is kind of weird. It's it's a weird show. It lurches between we're going to go to the Horsehead Nebula to we're going to cross the street, you know? It's got it's the year 2977, but uh, people are still using 747s to fly from point A to point B. People still dress like it's 1977, you know. There there's not a real attempt to make it all fit together into a coherent whole. Oh no! And I kind of like I kind of like that about it. Yeah, it's, but it does it. It goes from Captain Harlock is like, well, we're going to go over to Mars, and it's a big we're on Mars, you know. And then the next episode, well, we're going to go 100 million light years away, you know. It's the scale changes abruptly. Yeah, but I mean, you won't find yourself questioning those things when you watch you do the not. show. Uh, you de- do not. Definitely. In fact, I think maybe that revelation at the end was the one moment where you you get this baffling outcome. And yeah, as as illogical as it is, uh, I. I, I, I was thinking after I watched that episode, how could they have, you know, made this appropriate for children's television in, like, France or, or Canada back in the late 70s or early 80s? And I couldn't think of a way because you would cut out too much vital footage. It would just you, – you would lose the flow completely or you'd have to I, I think sacrifice. You would, you would make that uh, into a 40-episode television series, yeah. I think. Uh, yeah, yeah. In, actually, in, if in an English language adaptation, they would probably merge episodes together. I guess they were not as cool doing with that, doing it, doing things that way with a French adaptation. Um, I mean, it's not. That it was album. a. It was a. It was a lot more difficult to do that back then. Yeah. I mean, we have uh, when they did Robotech, they had the advantage of having. Um, it wasn't digital editing, but it was you know tape. They were working off uh, three quarter inch tape or whatever, so it's a little easier. When they did Star Blazers in 1979, they were working off. Film. They were actually editing. Uh, I want to say 16 millimeter film prints of the show. So every every edit they made, that was someone with a pair of scissors and some splicing tape. You know, every yeah. time they had to cover up a Japanese piece of Japanese text, they had to physically cover up mm-hmm. that piece of Japanese text. And it's a lot more difficult to to edit around things when you're working. Yeah. Uh, with analog, I guess you could say. So baffling as they were, uh, these three episodes were just tossed aside. And I guess, especially after they moved on to, to Albator 84, I guess there just wasn't a perceived need to go back to it. Um, and there were actually uh, compilation movies released, uh, definitely in Quebec, maybe in France as well, uh, compiling Albator 78, um, that still left off those final three episodes for, for many years. So as I mentioned earlier, Fantasia 2000 was where we saw they they made a big deal about releasing the final three episodes, uh, finally dubbed into French. Into French. So first of all, almost everyone was recast in this version, um, except for uh, Albator himself, who is again Richard Dubois, and he he is very good. Um, 
the the general reception is that he has grown as an actor and, and gives in the performance everyone wanted from Albator after all those years. Um, everyone else was recast and is basically terrible. Um, even if, <laughs> so uh, even if I, I don't know if you had a chance to watch this version, uh, Dave, but not uh, all you, of it. Yeah, even if you don't speak French, you can look at the old dubbed episodes of Albator and look at these uh, these new these newer dubbed episodes and there is clearly a difference in production quality between the two you get wild inconsistency in the way things are handled in uh in the in the 2000 dub who dubbed it uh i i don't know i i, I forgot to look i mean obviously that. it's it's not the same outfit that dubbed the original series no it certainly wasn't and i you know i i wouldn't be surprised if the same companies didn't even really exist anymore at that point or if things had yeah been exactly so i mean someone else took the reins on it for sure. I mean, if, again, if you buy a DVD box set, it's all together and uh, and all edited according to the, the Japanese version anyway, so it's it's all... They, they try to make it as seamless as possible, but these three episodes still stand out a lot, both in terms of the quality of, of the, the language production. Also, there's an interesting quirk in these episodes in that they actually, unlike the earlier series, they maintain the Japanese background music. Almost. Um, there's one thing that keeps happening uh they hired someone to do this albator techno song and yeah they, <laughs> they yeah, keep inserting yeah. it I, three to four times uh in each episode uh it sounds like this Yeah, and you get to hear that uh, playing usually over very inappropriate moments uh, over and over again throughout you know, all these three it's, episodes. It sounds similar to the G-Force dub of uh, Gotcha Man that was done in the late 80s yeah. where they, they had a Casio keyboard set on demo mode and you would just hear this constant there was not a moment of silence in the show it was always like for the entire 25 minutes of the show which is infuriating but the the albator 2000 situation sounds really similar to what happened when they dubbed the third series of uh, yamato and they did not have the access to the original star blazers cast so they hired peter fernandez and his crew to mm-hmm. dub the third series so it's a completely different voice cast and in some ways, I was down on it for a while, but I, I kind of like it now. The edits, like, they didn't edit nearly as much out of the third series as they did out of the first two. Yeah. So it's an interesting, like, you know, you never can't find the same people. You're always going to be working under um, different situations. It, it's a completely different crew of people working on this project. It's just another project to them. Yeah. They may not have even seen, I mean, obviously these people saw the original Albator, but they're not bound by this you know we have to replicate what happened in 1980 1978 you know regardless it's still kind of amazing that you can take those two dubs done separated by a 20-year period and like compile them together onto an uncut dvd set uh today um which is something is unthinkable with with uh with english language dubs i don't think you've you've you ever really see that um even even you know companies like discotech which endeavor to recover obscure english dubs and try to recompile them and and make the best possible product with them i don't think they could even pull this off with the types of materials you'd usually get from dubs made around that time 
Well, so, I mean, it, the problem is that, like, a lot of times, you just the original soundtracks just don't exist anymore. No, exactly, yeah. Uh, and, I mean, I mean, these dubs also, because uh, I think everything was done from scratch, like the music and the sound effects, uh, when they when when they when they redid it uh, back in 1979 and and through the 80s. Um, but it, you know, it, it just kind of shows that there's a there are definitely some differences in uh, in just the the general methods of of uh, of dubbing production in the two in the two languages. Oh, definitely. For sure, yeah. So, yeah, so Captain Harlock was a, a big success both in France and Quebec. Um, and a, a big reason is just largely due to the time and place in, in which it aired. A lot of shows hit around that time, and Harlock was easily the most engaging and sophisticated one air, airing among its contemporaries um, when it was being brought over. And that's likely the biggest reason why... It was such a, a phenomenon. I don't know if there's anything about the show that made it resonate specifically uh, with a French-speaking audience. Uh, I don't know if you have any any speculation on that. I'm drawing a blank, but I, I guess it's like you, you could just po- also pose the question: Is there anything in Inuyasha that resonated strongly enough with an English-speaking Canadian audience to make it the number one, you know, Google popular search query in 2004? There's probably no answer to that question. I think I think uh, Captain Harlock is is a romantic character. And at heart, the Frenchman is a romantic. I I, I can <laughs> see that. Sound like a character of a 1950s novel. General, <laughs> making broad generalizations of an entire culture. Where but yeah, no, he's a romantic character in the the Percy Bysshe Shelley uh, concept of romance. You know, mm. he's the, this this enigmatic, uh, dark, mysterious, colorful, swashbuckling. Um, you know, he's romantic. And I have to say, I can't help but find it kind of ironic, given uh, we touched on Matsumoto's politics before. And if you're not familiar with that, he is a huge apologist for the Axis powers during World War II. And this, he, he has a tendency to really show that in almost all of his work, probably less so in the 1978 Captain Harlock series. Do you have any, any thoughts on like how his politics uh, influenced that series? Don't have any heroes, because they'll disappoint you. <laughs> um, but... Uh, I don't know if you're familiar. There's a work he did called The Cockpit. I am familiar with The Cockpit. <laughs> and there's there's um, a story in The Cockpit about the heroic German uh, fighter pilot who uh, is Captain Harlock, who has to uh, <laughs> deliver the atom bomb so that Germany can win the war. And he refuses because, quote, the nation that uses the atom bomb is the nation that sells its soul to the devil. Unquote. And um, I'm sorry. Um, go screw yourself, Leiji Matsumoto. <laughs> go screw yourself. For the I'm, I'm sorry. I, I oppose that. A nation that bombed Warsaw flat, that bombed Rotterdam flat, that did its damnedest to bomb London flat. Come on, man. They would have used the atom bomb in 30 seconds, and they would have been cheered, and whoopee-doo, we used the atom bomb. I mean, honestly, that that sequence in the cockpit. The point is that I do think you you, you even see subtle traces of it in this show. It's like uh, Harlock is, of course, of German descent. Tochiro is of Japanese descent, and their you know their friendship is supposed to sort of be representative of the of the uh, the the noble union between Japan and Germany Axis forces during World War II. Um, it worked out. It worked out better in theory than in practice. Yeah. For Let me just say definitely, and, and which is why I found it. In, that, that's why I found it interesting that Tochiro's Japanese heritage was maintained in the uh, the French version, which I don't think was intentional. 
But, well, at uh, the same time, I don't think you can infer like a strict nationalism to these characters because Tochiro is a guy who could care less about. He's not like a Japanese yeah. Japanese bow down to the emperor kind of guy. And Harlock is like, I just happen to be doing this to pay the rent. Yeah, that was he doesn't that, owe, that, that he doesn't was his, owe that was his line in, uh, exactly. in Arcadia of My Youth. Yeah, exactly. He doesn't owe fealty to any government, and I, I, I feel like that's that's a really strong statement to to make uh, from someone who, you know, you can't really say that he's he's a nationalist yeah. if he's opposing national governments. He's more of a, I mean, a nation state in the sort of vague cultural sense, sure, but. I don't believe there's any one government he would ever think is better than any one other government. Yeah. I mean, Harlock Harlock himself is a character that has no use for governments. And in fact, this is a weakness of, of space pirate Captain Harlock, because he's not actually a space pirate. <laughs> he doesn't actually do any of that stuff. Yeah, it's it, – you're, you're, you're more uh, – it's more kind of gliding off that imagery rather than – you know, exploring the actual, the, the, yeah, the, the actual nitty gritty of, of uh, he does some looting. Yeah. Like we get to see him loot a spaceship in the first episode, but it's all, it's all towards the greater good. He's taking the grain and the useful stuff off that spaceship, destroying the 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 wine and the jewels, and then he's taking it all to his his. Uh, he's got an asteroid, a secret asteroid, where he's storing all this grain against the day that Earth starves and needs it. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. is an important plot point. A pirate wouldn't do that. Yeah. Um, also, just in case, just to, to clarify what we were talking about with uh, Arcadia of My Youth, there is a segment in that movie that flashes back and, and demonstrates that Harlock and Tochiro's relationship goes back to their ancestors during World War II. Um, and we we see a whole segment of them like you know heroically escaping the French resistance fighters, and and Tochiro gives uh, Harlock this or Harlock's ancestor this uh, this site that uh, winds up being an important. You know, Nazi memorabilia winds up saving the day in uh, in Arcadia of My Youth, essentially. Um, it's, it's, it's it's Luftwaffe memorabilia. Yeah, yeah Luftwaffe. I know. It's it's technically not uh, not Nazi when you're part of the Luftwaffe. Those guys, but, those guys weren't party members. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it's worth noting that Arcadia of My Youth was actually incorporated into Albator 84 because Albator 84 is uh, Endless Odyssey SSX was a continuation of that movie. Yeah, they actually edited uh, Arcadia of My Youth into Albator 84 into four episodes. Uh but they entirely cut out those flashback segments to uh Albator's uh ancestors in I you know actually <laughs> when that film was released uh as Vengeance of the Space Pirate those were cut as well. That is not even remotely surprising. Uh And I I don't I, I don't blame it because yeah. it doesn't work. It's kind of a nonsensical segment. I mean Using using technology to look at the race memories of your ancestors, especially for a captain, a character like Captain Harlock, who is never shown so much as touching a woman to expect that he had sired progeny throughout the the ages. Come on. Mm -hmm. He's not about, you know, a ladies man. He's not. Yeah, he's just not a ladies man. Uh, And and, uh, that also brings up the top like. One of the the things that really struck me in 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 Harlock, and you know, I'm not I'm not saying the series is like, uh, in like inherently or deeply sexist or anything, but you, you see a lot of uh, Matsumoto's issues with women arising in this series. I think just by virtue of the fact that that they're fighting the the Mazone, who are presented as this uh, this race of women. And one thing that really struck me was that the moment that they try to garner sympathy for the Mazone is when you see the civilians and you, you see that some actually 
take the form of men. They're not actually women. They're they're genderless, but some most of them take the form of women. Um, yeah. And it, it, it creates some – I wouldn't say troublesome imagery. I don't think it's really like – deeply bad or anything but it's you know it's it's notable that 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 aspect is kind of ingrained into the show i feel like any 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 show where you have an episode where captain harlock and to and and tarashi diver standing back to back vaporizing hordes of of attacking amazon women yeah <laughs> that are bursting into flames and screaming somebody is working through something yeah <laughs> i don't know who somebody is working through some sort of powerful emotion with a scene like that those uh mazone screams they they will they will haunt you they will stick with you for sure there is some they're haunting yeah there's some really there's some spooky stuff happening in the show it's not afraid it's not afraid of it it's not afraid to um when when tarashi daiba's uh when dr daiba is murdered he's murdered oh that is it's he, like the, that it's a that was an amazing scene. death scene he just they just loop the like him getting shot like i think five or six times they it really creates a strong impression i don't know if that was kept in in the in, in the french dub or not i wouldn't be surprised if they if they edited that out but um yeah rintaro knows how to direct the hell out of some death scenes let me tell you you can really see a lot of um if you look at that film and you compare it to his later works uh like dagger of kamui and harmageddon and uh, the work he did at Metropolis, for that matter, he directed the Metropolis film. They're it, they're not like at first glance they they may not seem a lot alike, but you can see that he's really working with like extreme contrast between light and shadow. He loves showing the beams of light going from uh, way high to way low, and like what's happening in between. Uh, he's just a tremendously uh, tremendous director, and it, you know he wasn't really able to do a lot of the the um, there's a short film, there, there's a, a film called Maney Maney that's a collection of short films. And Rintaro has a, a short in that. And his work in that is so bouncy and full of life. And it's really full animation. And he's not able to do a lot of that in Captain Harlock. But you can still see where, where he's working. It's coming through, you know. His his talent is really coming through. Yeah, he he has a very, quite a varied and eclectic style. Uh, so when you, when you watch you know multiple examples of his work you're gonna you're gonna see you know he's gonna be flexing different muscles a lot of the time depending on what the the material calls for um you know a lot of rentaro stuff isn't so great but uh you know when he when he can find the right uh the right approach and the right voice to to a certain kind of content he can really do wonders with it i i think i've enjoyed everything i've ever seen that mm -hmm. he's done i mean i know harmageddon gets a bad rap those people are, <laughs> those people are idiots that movie is terrific if only for the the destroyed there's there's a gang of kids robbing jewelry stores in destroyed New York City. That scene is gold. It's just a gorgeous scene. And I, you know, I the people some people don't like a Jew Galaxy Express. I like a Jew Galaxy Express. It doesn't make a lot of sense, but I like it. I uh, a Jew Galaxy Express is one I still haven't seen yet. Um, but it, I gotta. I I it's I, I completely. I, it's yeah. completely superfluous. <laughs> You're like. Why did they, you know? I know why they made this movie. It's a great looking movie. It doesn't accomplish anything the first movie didn't accomplish, but there you go. Some might say that everything Galaxy Express three nine outside of the the first movie, direct, also directed by Rintaro, is superfluous, or, or yeah. rather that first movie will give you pretty much everything you need from that franchise. It is, but it is everything you need. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's interesting that Captain Harlock shows up in the movie, and they have a, a sequence of episodes in the television series where Captain Harlock is supposedly showing up. 
and everyone's like, oh, it's Captain Harlock. Captain Harlock's going to do this. He's going to do that. And then it turns out it's a fake Captain Harlock, <laughs> not the real Captain Harlock. And you see Captain Harlock, you see the Arcadia, like, in the corner of the screen, in the last shot, in the last episode in that sequence. You know, I'm, I'm actually not sure if uh, Galaxy Express 3.9... I don't think it was. I don't think that show was dubbed in French. Um, I think. I think. I think that uh, Captain Harlock is just the, the the only real slice that they got of. of I think it made it into work. French. It made it to France, but much later. Yeah. Yeah. All I, had the, to, I had to do they, a little research. They got that. all the manga. They, they. I think they. They pretty much got all of his manga, which we're only getting now in English. They. Uh, hmm. um, Seven Seas just announced that they have the original Captain Harlock manga that they're releasing. Yeah, I know. I know. Uh, I know. This I'm, year is exciting. On top of that. Yeah, but uh, for the animation stuff. Yeah, not not everything makes it over, and I mean, Galaxy Express three nine is a is a beast no matter how you how you uh, you cut it down. Um, I feel like there's there's uh, what 113 episodes of that series, and you might not need to watch all yeah of the series. You if if you want to, it's not uh, it's not essential. Not, not all essential, of them. No. Yeah, there's some of them that are great though. Yeah, but again, I mean that first movie it. it it really it, that first movie really does just boil down all the everything that you really need uh, from the franchise. And I I, I think I, I mentioned this before is that I think that's my favorite iteration of Captain Harlock is his appearance in that film. Mm-hmm. Is he exists as this myth, and then uh, Tadashi uh, not Tadashi Tetsuro gets to meet him. Yeah. And uh, it's this oh my you know and he's he's. Just this big guy who's, who's showing up to save the day. Actually, you know? I think I think you mentioned that um, we had to do two takes of the beginning part of this episode because there was a, a recording error. So uh, if if that comment wasn't in the version that I wound up using in this episode, that is uh, that is why <laughs> it's in there now. Yeah, and you know you get you get uh, the the seventy eight crew of the Arcadia, and and they're in like the green the big uh, Death's Head green Arcadia. So yeah. you get kind of Kind of this combination of, of iterations yeah. of Captain Harlock. Again, you you can't you can't fit this stuff together. There there is no Leiji Matsumoto universe. Um, you have to relax and enjoy it. Um. So that that said, uh, Albator still has you know quite a legacy in in both uh, French Canada and and France. Um. But I, I think we we sort of touched on this idea earlier that it's kind of divorced from the modern anime fandom. Just uh. You know what? What we've from what we've seen is detached observers. It um, feels that way to me. Yes. Yeah, and I, I just find that so surprising because I don't think that you you would see something that you know something like Albator, which you know despite its edits and changes made in, in the French adaptation, it still retains so much of you know what is uniquely anime about it or what we love about anime in terms of like you know atmosphere and horror and characterization. Uh, that is just so popular with such a wide audience that doesn't that doesn't overlap with the anime fandom so much. Because um, if you if you go to like Otakuthon in Montreal, you're, you're from what I understand because I I haven't been there. Uh, I'd like to go because it's supposed to be a fantastic convention. Um, yeah, I mean you see a lot a lot of that popping up in in cosplay and 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 in merchandise. But it's it's just it's disconnected from you know the the modern industry kind of uh uh kind of presence that or should I say? I guess Crunchyroll uh, is is popular with, uh, with 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 kids in Quebec now, but like the audience that watches that stuff, you can't really trace that history back to this older uh, radio. There's Canada not a there, yeah. there's not a direct line the the way there is with the English language anime fandom. Yeah, which you can kind of trace a direct through line for that uh, that fandom uh, from 
the mid 1970s until today. Mm-hmm. Whereas I don't believe I and, and it may not be anything specific to Quebec. It may just be they just didn't have that 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 um, history of anime, of not anime fandom, but fandom in general. Of we're going to have a fan club for the show. We're going to have this sci-fi convention. I mean, I don't know if their culture exists there. Yeah, I don't think they really have an equivalent to like the, the cartoon fantasy organization or or anything like that. Which and that was all- that was an outgrowth of the L.A. Science Fiction Society. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's where they would meet. So they had already had this template of well, we'll have meetings, and we'll have a newsletter, we'll have screenings. That just may not have even existed. I don't know what science fiction fandom was like uh, in the francophone world. Yeah, that's definitely a topic I'd like to I'd like to explore more. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think that a lot of the modern fandom stuff you see in Quebec it can be traced back more to the English language stuff, which you know drives drives the modern market uh, to some degree. Uh, because that's another question I yeah. have is is do French language anime fans do they fan sub in French? Uh, I have talked to some people about this, and apparently, even though there are, there, you know, there's a lot of stuff in, in French on Crunchyroll. In fact, they even have some French-Canadian exclusives. Um, hmm. uh, I guess that's less true now that uh, they're teaming up with Funimation and, and sharing their content. Uh, but for a while, a lot of Funimation stuff was available on Crunchyroll in Canada, but only in French. Um, yeah. I, I Apparently, a lot of people uh, in Quebec who, who speak French watch english subs on on crunchyroll um because you know you hear a lot of talk about how crunchyroll has kind of destroyed the whole fan sub community for better or worse uh and i think that goes for for different languages as well because it's just so much easier because english is such a universal language for so many people that it's just easier to watch the english language the the ubiquitous english language translation from crunchyroll whether on the site or from a rip that you acquired some other way that um, is fascinating. Yeah. So I, I again, I, I might be a little off on that, and it's something I'd love to learn more about. If if anybody wants to reach out and and talk talk, talk to me more about it. Um, well, I, I will say I have watched all of uh, Future Boy Conan in Spanish. That was the first my first experience with that show. It was in Spanish, and I watched the entire show in Spanish. And you know, Spanish and it's a Romance language. It's you know close enough to English that you can pretty much figure out what's going on. So I can see where people would with with. A high school or, or equivalent experience with English could watch a, an English subtitle and uh, pick it up, pick up the story that way. I think that's a that's a, that's a neat way to experience something. I think. Oh, definitely, <laughs> yeah. definitely, definitely. Having that extra cultural lens can uh, can can definitely provide an interesting uh, an interesting perspective and context. Uh, like with me, watching we... with what I've seen of Captain Harlock in French, which isn't much, but I, I that makes it all the more fascinating to me. When we, I was, uh, uh, when I was in Atlanta, uh, me and some friends, we were part of a filmmaking group, and we fan subtitled Captain Harlock back in the day, and we used uh, Captain Harlock was broadcast with English subtitles on UHF television in California and Hawaii. Yes, back yes, in, I heard back about in the seventies. Yeah. So we had these really janky hundred fiftieth generation episodes of captain harlock and the subtitles are rudimentary at best so my friend matt used that as a template and was able to fill in the blanks to produce a, a much more comprehensive subtitle version that we distributed right up until uh, i don't know 2000 2001 2002 yeah we, and, were, we were sending those out and now you can just find the whole thing with 
uh, comprehensive subtitles on on Crunchyroll. There was there was actually I remember when Crunchyroll first um, started. Yeah. It's like, oh, you're stealing our subtitles. Like, no, they're not stealing our subtitles. Yeah. <laughs> Relax. We don't own Captain Harlock, man. Yeah. Did you have anything else you wanted to add before we we finish off, Dave? I would like everyone to go and watch uh, Space Pirate Captain Harlock, whether you watch it in French or you watch it in, in Japanese with English subtitles or however you watch it. It's a terrific show. It's all over the map, but the, the when it's good, it's really good. Yeah. Just if you and watch even it when fr- it's not, if you want to watch an episode where Captain Harlock rescues Maya from two um, Maisone women dressed as what I can only describe in, in hooker wear while two planets crash into each other behind him. It's uh, yeah, that's a Rintaro yeah. episode. That, right that's there. another that's another uh, another scene from my favorite episode, episode thirty four. So that, that's <laughs> I I cannot understand what's happening with their their outfits. Those are just the nuttiest, yeah. sleaziest outfits for two characters that are not you know in any way sexualized. Yeah. Oh oh yeah. That it's one of the few moments in this show. It's like wow, this is this is weird. This kind of sticks out because you know things don't usually stick like. Weird stuff happens all the time in this show, and you and you never question it. But then, like you see those two twins kidnap Mayu, and it's like, wow, what were they thinking there? <laughs> yeah, here's a tip: don't kidnap Mayu. Just yeah. leave her alone. Yeah, that's my my Th- advice. Things aren't uh, things aren't going to work out. All right, Dave. Well, thank you so much for for coming on. Uh, oh, I cannot overstate how much your perspective adds to this. Well, I wish I wish I knew more about how the show uh, aired in France and in Quebec. And I wish I uh, had more crazy Quebec uh, stories because it's a fascinating, fascinating sphere of anime fandom that uh, we still we here uh, without our French knowledge uh, don't know a lot about. So I'm looking forward to finding out more about that. I hope that at the very least we can get our hands on some more janky looking merchandise, though. 100 percent. Love the janky merchandise. Thanks for tuning in to Zonan Canada. As always, you can reach me on Twitter at Zonan Canada or email Canada at gmail.com. The theme song is by Ultra Clystron and can be found on his album Packet Flood, which you can purchase at ultraclystron.com. Please subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, or on your podcast app of choice, and leave a rating or review if you have a chance. If you know anyone who might like this show, please recommend it to them. See you again! Salvador, tu brises le feu des lagmas, ah.